Okay, good morning everybody. Um, my wife's got COVID, so I've been wearing a mask for half the service when I can. I'm actually going to duck off quickly afterwards to save a little bit more airspace. Um, but we're all fine. I'm fine, I think. <laughs> so it's always a little bit nerve-wracking. Um, this week, just a couple of other things, is we, we've... If you've seen a white 12-seater van flying around the streets with a few Nepalese people driving it, we've got it on the road. So we passed the pits and we've, got, we've now got a 12-seater bus for the Nepalese Community Support Program, something Paul's been praying for for a long time. So it's really exciting. You'll see it next Sunday over at Mornington. I think Matt said everyone's at Mornington next Sunday. I think, if you're just checking. And the other thing, we, we had a memorial service for Emma Khan, who's one lady who's been part of our church for quite a while. Um, and so that was just a precious time of saying goodbye, a celebration of her life. So really want to thank the church for getting right behind and pulling out all the stops for, for food and snacks and the flowers look beautiful this morning, if you saw them. Okay, for, for our sermon today, I want to go back a little bit. I, I feel like often we read through the Bible fairly quickly and kind of get it, but it, you have to really dwell on something to let it sink in to your heart so your heart can also catch up with what your head's reading. And so we're going to do that a bit this morning. So this is the, I'll title it, this first part, The Origin Story of John the Baptist. Okay, that sounds exciting, right? So we're going to, we're going to catch up a bit on that. Now, John the Baptist, his parents, Elizabeth was a direct descendant of Aaron, who was one of the great high priests of Israel. Um, and the father of John was Zechariah, and he was a, a, a priest of the course of Abijah. So he was also a high priest. There were about, according to Josephus, about 18,000 priests who looked after the temple in this time. That's a lot. So it's quite a church, if you think of it. Um, there were 24 divisions of priests, and the priests would, twice, or twice a year, they would go for one week and look after the temple. So Zechariah goes twice a year for one week, does his duties at the temple. What they do is they cast lots, um, and there's one, one of the priests out of this 18,000 who were chosen to go and do this sacrifice that Zechariah is about to do. So he's been waiting. It's been all his life. He's actually quite an old man now, he says. And he's been waiting his whole life for his duty. He's one week where he actually is the one who performs the sacrifice. And um, he, he prepares himself. He's right ready. He's prepared his heart. He takes it very seriously. And he goes into the altar to lay the incense on the altar. And then all of a sudden he sees an angel there. I'd like to read this in Luke's account because he really researched it. And so Luke chapter 1, we're going to be reading a bunch of Bible stuff today, so I'd encourage you to have your Bibles out. But if you don't want to skip the books, you can also look at the Bible app and they'll be in there. Have a listen to this. I'm also going to throw in a few of my own interpretations in amongst the Scripture. So listen carefully and I'll tell you when it's actually not the Bible and when it's me instead. It's sacrilegious, I know. Okay, let's go. So Luke chapter 1 verse 11 then an angel of the Lord appeared to him and standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Just pause for a sec. I really want you to capture this is a lifetime of waiting to do this. He's prepared himself. This is his big moment. And he walks in and he, he's standing at the right side of the altar of incense, he sees this angel. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, I get this reaction a lot. No, he doesn't. Okay. But the angel says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. 
He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or the fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Wow. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom and the righteousness, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Did you catch that last bit? His job is to make ready the people prepared for the Lord. This is big news. All right? Israel hasn't had a, a major prophet for more than 500 years. So Elijah died over 850 years ago. And Isaiah over 700. Ezekiel died over 550 years. There hasn't been a major prophet in all that time since then. And here there's an angel telling Zechariah that there's going to be someone of the order of Elijah who's coming, coming, who is going to be your son. Can you start to feel the excitement? I really want your heart engaged in this story. Okay, now Zechariah asked the angel, because he's, he's an old guy, remember this, he says, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and don't tell my wife I said this, but she's on in years as well. That's my insert. Okay, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which came true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering, wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. Oh, jeez, Zechariah, come on. Okay. And when he came out, he couldn't speak to them. They realised that he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. Isn't this an amazing thing? Like that he comes out, everyone notices, and you would have seen it on his face. He, he can't say a word, but they know that he's seen something. He's seen an angel. Anyway, I also want to talk about Elizabeth a bit um, because there's a special relationship that we skip over a bit. Gabriel, five months later or something, six months later, five, six, I can't remember, he, Gabriel then appears to Mary and tells Mary, you're going to have a child, the, the Messiah, the one who is to come. And so Mary, it says she waited for a few days, just a few days, and then the first action we hear about is she up sticks and heads off 150 miles to go and be with her cousin Elizabeth. All right? So Mary's got this news, Joseph hasn't been told yet, and she upsticks and leaves and goes over to Elizabeth. So I want you to picture this relationship of Mary and Elizabeth. Elizabeth is the older cousin who supports her when she's in need. She nicks off and she spends, uh, I think it's five months with Elizabeth over there. I can't remember. Anyway, as Mary turns up, capture this as well, Mary arrives and Elizabeth has this five-month-old baby inside her stomach and that baby leaps and it says that Elizabeth then is filled with the Holy Spirit. So these are all parts of John the Baptist's story. So when he's born, after eight days he goes and gets named and Zechariah says his name will be John. Um, he writes it down because he can't talk and then all of a sudden he can talk again. So there's this, also this miracle. So I want you to picture what is life like for John growing up. Okay, I'm sure that he hears these stories all the time. Let's have a Luke chapter 1 verse 65. It says, 
all, um, awe fell upon the whole neighborhood. And the news of what had happened spread through the Judean hills. Everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, What will this child turn out to be? This is for John. For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. This is no secret. Everyone around the hills of Judea hears about it. This is a big deal. There's a prophet who's coming, okay? And it's no secret. Often we just start with John in the desert and we forget about the 30 years that led up to that. He's, it's, it's interesting. So John will have grown up. Every time someone comes and visits the meal table, his parents talk about all the prophecy and the can't talk. And he keeps hearing this as a child. He keeps hearing this story. But as he grows up, he, he obviously starts to evolve to know that he is the one who will prepare the way for the Lord. So he spends the, his childhood and into his adulthood getting ready for it. John would have evolved into his God-given ministry for preparing the way for the Messiah. I want to read you a little bit of job, John's job description. Okay, You can go back to Isaiah chapter 40, and there are quite a few places where Isaiah talks about this. But Isaiah says, comfort, uh, the title is Comfort for God's People. So Isaiah 40 verse 3. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, and every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, and rugged places a plain. For the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And so John, um, he's got his job description pretty clear. So he actually heads out to the desert, does that literally. Um, the bit he doesn't do literally is a whole heap of roadworks. Okay, so, but what this says, and it's actually listed a, a whole bunch of times through the Old Testament, that the, the valleys will be raised up and the mountains will be levelled. What that means is our hearts will be prepared for the coming of the Lord. So it's a phrase that's often used, but it means prepare your hearts for the coming of the Lord. Um, it's not talking about making the roads flat. Um, so, but look it up, it's, it's quite a few times. Now what happens, so this is John's lead up. And we get to hear a bit of what John cared about because we hear him, what he used to teach. So let's have a look at that. Um, John the Baptist, in um, chapter 3 of Luke, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, of Luke, it says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Judea is about a two-day walk from Jerusalem. Um, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Straight from Isaiah 40. John's clothes were made of camel's hair. He had a leather belt. He, he would have been an interesting character to meet. Okay? He wasn't actually that unique. It's called the ascetic lifestyle where you deny all the comforts of life and you live a simple life and he wasn't the only one doing this. The, the desert fathers who came afterwards, that it was very common for them living this way. But he chose to live this very simple life out in the desert and calling the people of Israel to repent and, and come, to, come back to God. Um, verse 5. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan confessing their sins. They were baptised by him in the Jordan River. Here you catch a glimpse of John's character. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming, so the temple leaders, the religious leaders of the time, when he saw them coming to where he was baptised, he said to them, oh, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. 
And whoever came out, whether it was political leaders, religious leaders or whatever, he was straight on message and he said, you're sinners and you need to repent. And here he actually has a real go at these guys. John says, look, I baptise you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. All right, let's pause there for a sec. John's got a pretty strong message. So he, he sees the one who will come will actually purify and save Israel. He sees that this Messiah will bring the kingdom of God and that Israel will become pure again. And that way it will become successful again or free at least from these wretched Romans and the Medo-Persians before them, the Syrians, the Babylonians. Israel's lived in so much time of oppression and the Messiah has come um, to save us. But we need to repent and we need to... He's basically doing the job of levelling the mountains and picking up the valleys. And so you see, you catch a bit of the glimpse of who this guy is. I think if you went out to the desert, if you took the trouble of walking for two days into the desert, not many of us have done that sort of level of commitment yet, but going out for a couple of days' walk and seeing this guy dressed in camel hair who eats locusts and honey and he's proclaiming this gospel, he's got a strong message, he's pretty convicted. Um, We would probably describe him as fundamentalist, as really living out his faith and nothing else matters. Okay, fundamentalist in a good way. So, all right. Now, Jesus turns up. The reason I'm going through all this background is I want to really capture what happens in Luke, in Matthew chapter 11. So stick with us for this bit. Um, Jesus comes along, um, verse 13, and it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptised by John. That's 150 kilometres. So it's a five-day walk. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptised by you, and do do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this to fulfil the righteousness. And then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptised, he went up out of the water, and at that moment heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And so here John is ushering in the messianic age. Can you picture this sequence of events? So his prophet, the prophecy of John the Baptist, his birth, his upbringing, he's, he's going for it in the desert to prepare the way. He's really working in the way that Elijah did. He's really working to bring people back to God. Jesus comes, he's baptised, and then he sees this dove descend And he hears the voice of God, this is my son. So try and put yourself in John's shoes going through all these experiences. So that's where we come to Luke chapter, um, sorry, I keep saying Luke, Matthew chapter 11. So let's get started. This is where the sermon starts. That's the intro. Is that all right? (laughs) Okay. I'll make sure the conclusion is long as well. Okay. Um, But in Luke chapter 1, Luke 11 verse 1. It, it, Matthew, thanks. Just say Matthew whenever I say Luke. <laughs> Even in my notes it says Luke. What? Um, Matthew chapter 11 verse 1. It's, it's an interesting bit because it says that Jesus has been teaching his disciples. 
Now, I'm not going to go back through it all. I would love to, but I'd love, if you get time this week, go back and read Matthew chapter 10, because Jesus is teaching very difficult truths to his disciples. He's saying, they hated me, they're going to hate you also. You're going to be um, convict, like really oppressed, even in the synagogue. And even in your immediate family, father's going to turn against son because of me. I have not come to bring peace, but I've actually come to draw people back to God, to repentance. So that... Matthew chapter 10 is a really hard-hitting, if you take it seriously, it's beautiful, but it's also very strong that follow me and you're going to have a tough time all right, here on earth. Um, so have a, have a look through that. There's some real gems in there. Now what happens in verse 2? Only a year or so has passed since Jesus was baptised. He's gone out in the desert for 40 days. He then goes back up to Galilee and he's performing miracles, turning water to wine and all this stuff. Um, and it's only a year and a bit since this amazing time when John baptised him. But what's happened in that year and a bit is John has been thrown into prison by Herod Antipas. Um, John was having a go at him because he was living an adulterous life because he'd married his brother's wife. And Herod didn't like that. You don't stand against Herod. You don't say anything nasty. There's no freedom of speech for another 1,700 years. So smack him in prison. Um, and the other awkward thing is it says that Herod enjoyed listening to John. So John was put in prison and then Herod kept on coming and chatting to him because he liked to listen to him, but John was locked up in prison. Now what I'd like you, before reading on, I'd love you to have a think. Well, I'm going to give you a, just a moment to talk to your neighbour. This is like a choose-your-own-adventure story. Pretend you don't know where this goes. I'd like you to think, what are John's, how is John feeling and what are his choices from this point. He's been in prison. He's in prison for a whole year. What, how should he react at this moment? Can you pick up how he's feeling and then what actions can he do? All right? Have a quick chat to your neighbour. Give an emotion and then what are his choices? Okay, we'll pull it back together. I'm going to ask the Lena Valley crew. This is where I meant to meet. It would have been nice to hear both. Sorry, Mornington. Um, how's, how do you think John is feeling at the moment? Can you give me some words over here at Lena Valley? Depressed? Uncertain? Uncertain. Anxious. Anxious. Yeah. Out of the main game. Yeah. And it's, it's worse than that. We'll come to that in a sec. Okay, so also what we also know is that in Matthew chapter 9, one of the struggles is that the disciples actually go to Jesus' disciples and they complain to them and say, your disciples aren't fasting. Like, what's going on? We have to, we have to go through all this really simple lifestyle with John the Baptist and you guys are going to parties and you're not even fasting. And so they're already whinging about Jesus' disciples because they're living the life. <laughs> not really, but compared to John's disciples, they are. Um, now, the word that I read this week that captures this for me is perplexed, or you might have disillusioned. John is stuck in prison, and he's supposed to be out there prophesying, preparing the way for the Lord, the one who is to come, and he's stuck in prison. This is not how it's supposed to go, and it's worse than that. He keeps hearing these stories that Jesus is just walking around Galilee and healing people, and so he's hearing all these stories and he's like, well, that's not what I expected either. Let, we already know from what he said. Let me read this. This is from the NIV Bible Companion. John rightly expected the Messiah to be a judging fire. 
So events are not unfolding as he anticipated. The divine judgment and time of messianic blessing um, do not seem to have arrived as he projected. Jesus is not carrying out judgment. Rather, he seems to be concentrating on healing and helping. He's even going to parties. John needs to have his understanding of the messianic program reconfirmed. I think that captures it pretty well for me. This perplexed, this is not where I thought this was going. This is not what I prepared my whole life for. I've denied all my luxuries so that I can prepare the way for the Lord. And I thought he was going to come with a winnowing fork and actually cast judgment and purify Israel. This is not going the way that I expected it to go. He's having parties with tax collectors. Right? And so for John, I, I think he has a few choices here. I, th- I came up with the main three that I thought. He can either back out of his conviction and calling and try and appease Herod and get out of jail. Oh, don't worry, Herod. Sorry, I said anything bad. Um, what you're doing is fine in God's eyes. Can I go now? All right. He could have tried that tack. Um, I, I might have taken his second option. He could have slumped in the corner, disillusioned and dejected, depressed, and actually faded out of history there. All right? Um, and just, just sort of, woe is me. Um, but what John does is he say, seeks clarification. I think he's got these doubts, otherwise he wouldn't have got his disciples to walk. All right? So what happens in verse 2? John's disciples have travelled around 160 kilometres to ask this question. So John said, can you go and just chat, chat to my cousin? I just need to check this out. And so the disciples go up, and it's the, actually the first time that Matthew introduces Jesus with this phrase, the one who is to come, um, since the introduction of the book. And so here, John is asking for clarification. This ties in really well with my experience of life as well. When things aren't going the way you plan, when you feel disillusioned, God, what on earth is going on here? This is not, like, this is not how it's supposed to be going. Or when you're under some sort of attack and you're wondering where God is in it all. These are some of the options you have. Just run away and try and find an easier way. Let me warn you, there's no hope in that. Slump in the corner, dejected, or actually sleek clarification. And what I'm wanting to actually name this sermon is lean in, even when you don't understand. Um, I've had quite some significant journey through my, my immediate family, um, of things not going the way that I thought they would. All of us following Christ, but it's just pretty disillusioning my family. And you can talk to me about it sometime, but it's not the way that I thought God would raise my family. Another thing, my mum my had MS for 13 years. We prayed for her constantly. And me as a teenager, growing up, hand-feeding my mum, taking her on holidays where she couldn't look after herself, and just constantly praying, God... This is a beautiful woman who could really serve your kingdom. Why have you trapped her in this body that's not working? Do you, do you get the disillusionment of why, God, this isn't how it should be going. She, she could have been the most hospitable, beautiful person for your kingdom. Even my wife and I, we moved to the UK as full-time missionaries, living on um, gift income and just trusting God for everything. Seek first his kingdom and everything will be added to you. But while we're in England, five years after starting, we went there with Fusion and Fusion just imploded. And then we're left trying to hold things together and keep things working. And 
I thought I went there to actually play my part in changing the world and seeing the kingdom come and giving our all for it, but it just didn't seem to work the way we thought it would. And so for me, this, the word of disillusionment has been one of the key words of my emotional journey of this isn't what I thought I was signing up for. This isn't going the way I thought it would. And, but the thing that I've learnt through all of this is like John does, is this is not how I expected it. This is not what I signed up for. But I'm going to lean into Jesus because he is the source of my hope and joy. And I'm going to allow him to speak to me and to confirm this to me. That's the bit that I would really encourage us with. When things are not going the way you had hoped, when you, what you had anticipated, lean into Christ rather than just running away. So let's look at this story. Um, let me just catch my notes. Okay, so John, John asks through his disciples, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Now, if that's translated correctly, and I think it is, that's a bit of a stab, I reckon. Uh, if I was Jesus, put yourself in Jesus' shoes, John, his cousin, they've been talking about it. They met together through their childhood and stuff. They've been talking about this stuff, I'm sure of it. And yet John says, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? All right, now Jesus has a chance to respond to this. What would a normal human reaction be? I think it would be one of, <laughs> how dare you ask that question? I thought we were buddies. I thought we were in this mission together. I thought you understood. And now you're asking me if I really am the son of God, the one who was to come. That's how Jesus could have actually responded as a human being. Let me show you the gentleness and dignity that he shows in his answer. Okay. Um, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 4, Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Now what Jesus is doing is he's referring back to passages from Isaiah. He's actually not just saying, don't just take my word for it. Isaiah, the prophet who we heard from God, he said this over and over. In the study notes, if you look at them, it, it'll mention Isaiah 26, Isaiah 29, Isaiah 35, 42, 53, 61. Isaiah just kept talking about the Messiah, the one who was to come. And he explained that this exact thing would happen. So Jesus is replying to John with dignity and saying, I'm just going to quote something and that, that will actually remind you of Isaiah 35, which I'm sure John knew off by heart. Let's have a look at Isaiah 35. I want you to hear this answer from Jesus um, as he says this. So Jesus quotes Isaiah um, and he says, The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. They will see the, Lord, the, the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, the ears of the deaf, deaf unstopped, then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. 
So Jesus is saying, look, this is it. This is what I came to do. I'm doing it. Um, and he says it respectfully. He gives sight to the blind. The lame will walk. Those with leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. So Jesus reminds John, I'm doing exactly what Isaiah said. I, I am the one. And he, he sends these disciples back off with that answer. But he also says, um, blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. I find the blessed words difficult in our English translation. Um, it kind of adds some religiosity to it that I distance myself from. So let me rephrase it in my own words. I think it says, you'll be blessed if you hold it together and keep your faith in me, despite things not going the way you'd anticipated. Let me say that once more. You'll be blessed if you hold it together and keep your faith in me, despite things not going the way you'd anticipated. So the verse actually said, blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. All right. And then as, the, as John's disciples start to walk away, this is the other part that I love. This is where Jesus gives respect and puts John on, in the right place. And he says to him, what did you guys come out in the desert to see? So he's talking to the audience. What did you come out into the desert to see? Was it a, a reed swayed by the wind? Everyone knows that John's in prison because of his conviction. He's not swayed by the wind. He's not this little desert flower that's, you know, just fragile and flittering in the wind. That's not what you came out to see. What did you come out to see? It's not a man dressed in fine clothes. You're not coming out here to see power and royalty. Um, you've come out to see someone with an ascetic lifestyle. You, you guys actually came out to see John because he was a prophet. So let me read this from verse 11. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. For the days, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. If you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let him hear. There's a couple of little bits in here, but Jesus is saying um, of John, um, he's saying that he is the greatest prophet of the order of Elijah. So he's this really significant guy. But then Jesus throws in this extra line that's really hard to understand for me. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. So what does that mean? Well, John is a transitional figure so who's prepared the way for the coming of the Lord. One sad thing for John is he's just about to be um, executed and he's actually not going to be around to see what Jesus does to bring the kingdom. And what Jesus is saying is anyone who comes into this new era, this new kingdom, is going to be greater than what John was. And so because of what Jesus did, the events including the cross, the resurrection, the ascension into heaven and sending of the Spirit at Pentecost, that brings the arrival of the new kingdom's redemptive life. John didn't get to see that bit. So what you get here is John was the greatest born of women, but now, now because of what Jesus has done, even the least is greater than that because of what we can actually experience. We can be part of this kingdom. So John's mission was great. The thing I love here is John leans in and says, Jesus, I just need to check this out because I've got all these doubts. Just need to check it out. Are you the one? Jesus replies and said, I am the one. 
But then he also says, and he says it to the others, not to John, but look how great John is. And I, I love how Jesus is so gentle. There, there have been a couple of times. I, I actually feel like I've become a Christian twice. Once when I was 14, when I put up my hand in a big conference and I meant it with all my heart. But another time when I was, I think, 29 or 30, when I was really questioning God, really questioning faith, are you really there? I was going through a really tough time myself. And I, I experienced this same gentleness. As I questioned God, are you real? Are you really there? I, I experienced this same gentleness of I am and keep coming back to me and keep pressing in, keep leaning in. Here with me you will find peace and joy and hope. And, and I, that's, that was my experience. And So I reckon I became a Christian again, recommitted, however you want to describe it. Now, just in concluding, the, Jesus then says to the crowd, he says, you guys are pretty fickle um, because John came and lived this ascetic life as a prophet and you said that was a dirge. I've come and I'm actually having parties with tax collectors and, and you said you, you're calling me flippant kind of thing. Um, uh, let me read it, verse 18. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he's a demon and the son of man came eating and drinking and they say he's a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proof right by their deeds. And Jesus is showing that both these lifestyles are both pointing towards God, but that neither of them the people are accepting. You're so fickle. Like, we're both living for God. Um, and so, just wanting to conclude, Jesus has been experiencing opposition in his ministry. John's in prison. And there's all this opposition and persecution. But I want to actually let Isaiah have the last words. So in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 to 9, he, say, he quotes God saying, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. There will be times you'll be going through life and you will wonder what God is doing and why things are happening. How come this is happening? How come that's not happening? Um, but I want you to come back to this Isaiah 55 and lean into to Jesus. His ways are higher than ours. And, um, yeah, and his thoughts higher than ours. So let's just trust in him and lean in. So I'll leave you with that. I'll, I'll pray as the band comes back up. Father, I pray that you'll help us to have a heart that is humble enough to lean in and to to ask you questions. I love the way that Jesus isn't offended by the question, but he just answers it and then respects and loves. Father, I pray for us that, that we will be able to, to lean into you, Father, when we don't know what's going on, when we can't understand why you're not stepping in or why you're doing what you're doing. Father, help us to lean in and trust in you and to find comfort there. Father, thank you for the life of John, the way he prepared the people for Christ. And uh, I pray that we'll be encouraged this week yep, to do so. Amen.